Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy, C-I-Double-Z-Y, you dig, live action. Back at it again with another episode of what was formerly known as the Culture Talks podcast, mm-hmm. but I have recently changed it to the Kyle Stutzer Show. The Kyle Stutzer podcast, Kyle Stutzer Show, whatever you want to call it. And ladies and gentlemen, I won't be mad if you continue calling it the Culture Talks because, listen, that's just a fact. The culture does talk. And you see what I'm rocking right now. We got the VOV uh, sweatshirt on, you know, the the signature CEO Sizzy. I don't really like wearing it that much um, because it makes me feel a little, uh, what's it called, braggadocious or uh, I don't know. Who puts CEO their name on their back? I think it's kind of whack, yeah. but I also kind of <laughs> like it. I'm not going to lie. I see what you mean by that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, I think it's a little bit whack, but I also enjoy it. So. <laughs> But I mean, it's a branding. I mean, it you is. don't have your. Do you have your name on the back or anything? Yes, like that? it is. That's what okay. I'm saying. This okay. right here on the back, it says uh, CEO says you know it's kind of just a little thing for me and my uh, co-founder for the t-shirt brand to rock. You know, I have his mm-hmm. name on the back of his and my name on the back of mine. Just a little, you know, little thing to be like, yo, we did this or wow. we started it at least. I don't know what it means by you know we did this, but either way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I appreciate you because. We are on episode. What is this? I think this is oh, this is episode eighty nine, I believe. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you are rocking with me all the way to episode eighty nine, and you're here for the dope guest that we have on today to drop gems and talk about his life, you know what I'm saying? Y'all should be happy right now. And if you're watching this on camera at home, ladies and gentlemen, please. Look at how fresh my guy is. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who my guy is, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, my boy. Oh, yeah, for sure. So my name is Nathan Roberts. Uh, I was born and raised in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, Came up here in 2016 to study economics at UMKC just because they have a great affiliation with the Federal Reserve. Uh, Two years into the program, realized that wasn't what I wanted to do. Switched into business admin and focused and had an emphasis in real estate. So um, I actually read this book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad at 17. It's a mind-changing book for most people that read it, right? Uh, And that's what actually got me down the career path of wanting to be on the ownership side of real estate. And um, just attending all these different events around Kansas City, uh, started meeting up with all these professionals, and I kept getting the same recommendations. Hey, have you ever thought about... Um, actually getting in on the brokerage side and helping investors acquire properties before you actually have your funds or all your things put together uh, to actually be on the ownership side yourself. So I took that recommendation, got licensed at uh, 20 years old, so three years ago. And, yeah, it's definitely been a process. A lot of lessons learned uh, definitely in the beginning because when you're young, uh, it's it's a lot harder to to actually get out there and get clients. But uh, things have worked out quite a bit. And uh, they're they're well now. So I love it. I love it. I love it. And matter of fact, <laughs> you know, I did not know that you were younger than me because I feel like I'm younger than everybody in the world. Like uh-huh. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that I feel younger than everybody, but typically I'm the youngest person that that that's on the show. So yeah, shout out to you for being brave enough and confident enough to jump into such a gritty game because as much as you know, real estate's talked about, you know. And on TV, on these, you know, fancy this, fancy that. You're going to make millions of dollars today as soon as yeah. you get your your license. Like, it's a hard game. It's yeah. a hard game. It's a hard hustle. And, you know, you were in school still when you got your license. Is that correct? That is correct. So yeah. so how did, you, how did you balance both finishing off your degree and also, like, trying to get, you know, acclimated to the real estate industry and getting to know people and make contacts and network. How did you do both yeah. of those at the same time? So for me, uh, just because I was a student in the block school and they had a real estate uh, emphasis or course load that you could do, uh, they had partnerships with like CCIM, uh, the Urban Land Institute. So CCIM, uh, every third Friday of the month, 
uh, they have this uh, breakfast at the Mission Hills Country Club. So it's literally the, the top brokers here in Kansas City. Uh, and it's a super cool meeting just to learn about uh, the, the projects that's going on around the city and, and things that are actually happening, right? Uh, and that was a breakfast that I got to go to for free just because I was a student at UMKC, and that was great to be involved. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of organizations that just offered free memberships to uh, students or people in college. So I definitely took advantage of that because I know when you're when you're young, I, I tell people all the time, try to learn as much as you can about the industry or, or career path you want to go down before um, before focusing on the money, because right. the money will eventually come. But uh, learn just perfect your craft first before you you get out there and, and you're hungry for the money because it, it will come, like I said. Right. It's, it's, mm. it's, the name of any game is, you know, mm. if you learn it, you understand it, you acquire knowledge, and you put in the work, eventually, as long as you're consistent, the problem is a lot of us struggle to be consistent, but yeah. as long as you're consistent, that bread is going to come. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what what the biggest challenge is for a lot of us, especially nowadays, is that, that uh, expectation to have that money flowing really quick just because mm -hmm. of social media and seeing people – you know, I got my real estate license yesterday, and today I'm a billionaire. Like, what, bro? No, oh, you yeah. are not. But, we'll but it like does look crazy like sales right, crazy sales yeah. in the first year. And, you know, that may be one in 300,000 people that actually make the crazy sales the first year. But the reality is you got to hustle. Mm -hmm. You got to be consistent. You got to learn the game. You got to create your network. And we'll, we'll jump into how you did all that even further in a second. But before that, you talked about growing up in Columbia, Missouri. So, Let's talk about that experience. What was, you know, some people call Columbia, Missouri a city. I call it a college town. I call it a it's small a college town. It's a town. college town, yeah. Exactly. So what was that experience like, you know, being young, all these college students around town during the year, and then the town becoming a little less, em uh, more empty during the summer? Like, yeah. what was that experience like there? What was, you know, the community like? What's the di diversity? Just talk about yeah. your experience in Columbia growing up, you know, mm -hmm. through high school and, and some of your favorite and some of your non-favorite experiences yeah. there. I would say, I mean, Columbia, like you said, it, it's like it's a college town. So um, it, it's definitely great growing up in there just because it is a very diverse community. It's not really like Kansas City, like Kansas City is very diverse, too. But obviously, we know of what's considered the truce divide, right? Mm -hmm. How there's lower socioeconomic classes on the east side and then it gets higher and it's it tends to be more white driven on the west side. Uh, it's not really like that in Columbia, and that's one thing that I, I loved. I mean, there were three primary high schools. There was Hickman, Rockbridge, and and also Battle. Um, I mean, all three high schools were, were very integrated and diverse, so that was one positive. Uh, but growing up in a college town, uh, just because it is where the University of Missouri is, um, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a party, it's, it's a party town for the most part, so... Uh, when you're in high school and, and you know a lot of people that are freshmen or sophomore in college, you tend to go to those festivities at MU. So it was definitely a fun time to grow up in. Uh, trying to think of some of the, the things I didn't really like about the town. I'm I'm a people person. So with Columbia, because it is so small, I mean, you can go all over the city and you're going to see someone that you know. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Kansas City is starting to get like that in, in a way, too. But yeah, I, I mean, if you're looking for more opportunities and stuff like that, uh, you, you have to look at where the economic drivers are coming from and, and who the top employers are. And for the most part, that's that's MU. I mean, the university in, in the health system up there. Um, but in Kansas City, there's so many different uh, industries that are intersected. Uh, so there's a lot more ample opportunities up here. And is that kind of what you like realized when you were I know you mentioned you were interested in economics at the time and yeah. UMKC had a good program with that. But is is also knowing that Kansas City was kind of a city with more opportunities across a few different industries. Another mm -hmm. reason you decided to come down this way, did you plan on staying in Kansas yeah. City after you were done with school? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a lot of people would be like, why don't you just go to MU, man? It's oh, like a way bigger school. It's yeah. a way huger school. Like, or, you know, it's a more recognized school. So mm -hmm. I know you mentioned econo economics, but was there anything else that fed into your decision to, to, to leave and not go to U U University of Missouri? Yeah. I think the biggest thing, it comes down to your goals and your aspirations at the end of the day. Uh, knowing that I wanted to be in on the ownership side of real estate, and I, I'm a firm believer that if you go to a university or college, um, I mean, 
your college days is when you're out there making a lot of those connections, right? So I, I think it's good to stay in the city that you went to school at um, because you already have those pre-existing connections. So that was one of my, my drivers. But I would say the, the number one thing was their affiliation with the Federal Reserve. At one point in time, I mean, I, I knew I wanted to be on the ownership side of real estate, but for my active income source, uh, I thought about becoming a, uh, an economist. And I know for that process, I mean, you're looking at six to eight years in school. Um, and I just being in the program, I realized that's not really the career path I wanted to go down. And a lot of people get caught up into the status quo of uh, a position, right? A lot of people want to become doctors or attorneys because it's a high prestigious uh, white collar position that a lot of people are, I mean, are, are recognizing as one of the top positions up there. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to become an economist. But then I realized that's not truly who I am and mm. that's not what I'm going to enjoy doing. Mm. So despite how much money I'm making, I want to actually have a career path that I enjoy doing uh, because it allows you to have that that continuous uh, motivation to, to, to go forward. Absolutely. I love that. That's that's a great point, because, you know, a lot of times people, you know, instead of taking into consideration their passion, their purpose or or their true interest or what actually fits their skills or or their their interests what they instead look at is what's going to make me look good to society what's yeah. going to be what what's most flashy what's m what am i going to be you know uh showered with compliments for if i decide to go down that career path and so mm -hmm. they you know i'm not saying everybody does this i'm just saying a lot of individuals do this you know oh i'll be a lawyer because i know my mom and dad are gonna be like yeah oh yeah my son became a lawyer or mm -hmm. i'm gonna become a doctor because i know my parents are gonna be like oh doctor yes or like you know they go down these things based off of what the community is going to think about yeah. their decision and not so much about what's true in their heart so mm -hmm. i think that's a good point that you made there so when when did you decide what year was it how old were you when you read rich dad poor dad because for me that was I think I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad very recently, and I've always been interested in investing. I've always mm -hmm. been interested in ownership, but mainly because of, you know, influences from hip hop. You know, yeah. really growing up, it's just like, I got, I own this, I own that. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I knew I wasn't a rapper or NBA player, so I was like, what other options do I have? So I did research that taught me about other avenues of building wealth, such as real estate, yeah. or such as buying and owning businesses. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had the baseline understanding of that, but the, the, the mental framework that Rich Dad, Poor Dad gives you is so powerful, and I think I read it 2019, okay. since I moved back from L.A., so fairly recently. I was like 22, 23 years old. Yeah. So when did you read so it and you know talk about the, the domino effect of w what that book had on your life? Yeah. So I read it in 2015. This was the summer going into my senior year in high school. Uh, just trying to figure out uh, what my plan was going to be after school because your junior year is when you need to decide like what sh what career path you're going to go down. Um, so I was just doing a lot of research, just trying to understand like um, because I I mean I I grew up I, I I would say lower socioeconomic class. I wasn't middle class. I was definitely considered uh, poverty, but. I didn't grow up in the inner city. I grew up in Columbia, Missouri, and that's a little bit different atmosphere when it comes to you being on a lower socioeconomic class status, right? Um, so just trying to decide what career path I want to go down and just doing a lot of research online um, through books and, and, and ways you can actually try to accumulate wealth. Because as you know, there's a huge racial wealth divide in this country. And that's one thing I was looking into. And, and yeah, I, I stumbled across Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, a lot of it was recommended through Bigger Pockets, which is like the largest online real estate forum. Um, but yeah, I, I was just doing some research, ran across that book, and I was like, oh, wow, this book is going to teach me how to become wealthy. That, that was my, my mindset going into it. Um, and I mean, it just teaches you the truth about financial literacy, which is completely different. It like reverses what you were taught in, in high school, right? You get, you get taught to uh, find a job, invest in a 401k, uh, get a W2 income job and, and just stay on that career path until you're ready to retire. And uh, a lot of people don't understand that the quickest way to build wealth is to have multiple income streams. So I, I realized early that being on the ownership side of real estate would do that for you. Um, and yeah, I mean, r after reading that book, it was a mind changer for me. I was like all gung ho about real estate and uh, just trying to figure out how I can get my foot in the door. And I mean, the three biggest things you need for real estate, you need 
uh, the know-how, right? You need to know how to actually execute a business plan. You need to have the financial resources and you need the property. I would say out of all three, the, the hardest one's going to be finding the deal. Getting the capital is going to be e the, the easy part. I mean, as long as you can find an opportunity and showcase to investors that uh, there's potential to, to lead to more growth and value, I mean, people would be willing to give you money all day. So, um, yeah, that was the mindset after that bug. I mean, you either save or I mean, the, the big one of the big things that they told you in the book is having delayed gratification. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there tends to be a direct um, relationship with how much money you make and how much you end up spending on on liabilities. And that's the I, I would say that's probably the biggest issue that that keeps people from acquiring wealth is they make a lot more money. So they want to spend, spend a, lot a lot more, more money. money. And right. Yeah, that's a huge issue, and it, and it's kind of hard to get with people and, and get them to understand like that is not how you should be building wealth. Number one, you should be building multiple income uh, streams, and then number two, you shouldn't be spending all the money you have. Put some money aside for investments. Right, and there's so much to dive in and dive into from what you were just you know stating there. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna follow my 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 script here and yeah. jump back into some of those things you were talking about because a lot of a lot of powerful statements within that. Um, so. You become a you become a real you get your real estate license. Yeah, I have a question that I don't actually know the answer to, which mm -hmm. is I don't know why I said it like that. Either way, so um, residential real estate, commercial real estate, do you have to get two different licenses? No, it's the exact same license, which is like crazy to think about because there's a lot more rules and regulations and, and things you need to go through on the commercial side. So it, it's one of those industries. I mean, you probably know at this point, it's a white male dominated industry. It's kind of hard to get into it unless you have a mentor. Uh, and I've had two people that's had a, a great impact on my career so far. Um, but there's not really, I mean, there's resources out there. I mean, there's classes, uh, courses and stuff like that that you can take, but those are thousands of dollars. Um, but I would say the biggest free method, I mean, bigger pockets, learning how to actually analyze investment properties um, and then uh, there's like um, CCIM, SIOR, there, there's like destinations or courses you can take. Again, they're thousands of dollars. But I, I think the biggest thing is that if you understand the math side of things, then everything else kind of just falls into place. But with most things, I mean, it, it takes experience. A lot of things you can't learn through reading a book or taking an online course. You kind of have to have a mentor that's kind of guiding you through the process. Absolutely. And so, so. What were, aside from, you know, well, actually, yeah, how did you find your mentors first mm -hmm. and foremost? Because what I was going to ask right there is for individuals who are like, no, I want to be on the commercial side. Yeah. I don't want to be on the residential side. I want to be multifamily properties. I want office spaces. I mm -hmm. want big commercial buildings. I want big apartment buildings, right? Yeah. You know, if someone's going down that path, they get their residential real estate, you know, um, license, and they learn primarily about residential. Yeah. And then they're like, well, for the most part, the valuation of residential properties, those are based on comps on the commercial side. It's not I mean, it can be based on comps if there's no income being derived from the property. But for the most part, it's taking the cap rate approach. So the income divided by the cap rate, that's what gives you your, and, your property. And for, and for the listeners out there. Yeah. Let's break down what comps are mm -hmm. and let's break down cap rate, what you just said right there. So let's let's yeah. make this a real actionable yeah. little podcast. So break down like first off what what comps are. How do you run comps and what do you mean by residentials or ran off comps and yeah. commercial side? Yeah. So on the residential side, what I mean by comps, comp just means comparable property. So if you're looking at a three bed, one bath property in, let's just say, um, I, I don't know, in uh, let's just say high park area or something mm -hmm. like that, then you need to be finding another three bed, one bath in, in high park. If there's not a lot of comps there, uh, then obviously you can go up in size a little bit. So if you're comparing a three, one to a three, two, uh, then obviously you need to take off the value of your property because the, the, the subject property has less square footage or less amenities than the, the other property. So all a comp is, it's a property that is very similar in the same neighborhood that has sold within the past year. Okay. Uh, the most recent it is, the most accurate it's going to be because uh, with real estate and stocks and, and any investment uh, um, vehicle, uh, there's cycles to it. So... Um, Right now, I mean, we're at a crazy time when it comes to residential properties, and a property is worth significantly more now than it was last year just because of appreciation. I mean, uh, and that's also due to laws of supply and demand too, right? 
Um, on the commercial side, it's value based on the income approach. So what I mean by that is people buy commercial properties because they want to make a return on it. People aren't buying it to live in it. Right. So uh, what a cap rate approach is, that's essentially taking caps. Uh, a cap rate is kind of similar to uh, a rate of return that you're looking for for a property. So if you were to say an eight cap, then it's kind of like the, the rate of return you would receive um, on that property that is not accounting for any loan payments or anything like that. And so eight cap is essentially saying a 8% return on my yeah. investment. That's essentially assuming that you paid for the property all cash. Yeah, okay, that's gotcha. what that means. Gotcha. But okay. in reality, it's not really that way because you still have expenses that are going to vary based on the neighborhood or city that mm -hmm. you live in. Okay. The location. Okay. And so, yeah, so understanding that off top for somebody who's trying to get into the real estate world or just got their license where are you learning this at? Are you reading mm -hmm. a lot of books? You said there's courses, but they're thousands of dollars. You said mentors are an option, which you yeah. had too. So let, let's start there. How did you find your mentors? How did you reach out? How did you make contact with them? And mm -hmm. then maybe share some other um, avenues, someone who's a new real estate licensee but wants to go on the commercial side, Yeah. some some learning opportunities that are, or resources that they can utilize mm -hmm. moving forward. So I'll start with the resource side of things, how you can actually learn this information. I mean, it's through Bigger Pockets is the largest online real estate forum out there. So if you have any questions, honestly, all the questions you're, you're probably going to ask has already been answered. answered. So you can search that in the forums and, and you're going to see all these real estate professionals that are providing recommendations or advice for, for what you should be doing Absolutely. in your particular situation. Shout um, out Bigger Pockets. Bigger Pockets is great. Uh, that's how I learned most of my things in the beginning. Uh, they have quite a few books. Like if you want to flip houses, they have the book on flipping houses by Brandon Turner. Currently um, reading the one on uh, getting rental properties with no money down. Okay, no and low money down. Yeah, that yeah. One, that one's a great book too. Um, but there's another one called, uh, and it's probably my favorite book if you're trying to be on the analytical side and actually know how to underwrite properties. It's called... Um, it's a book by Frank Gallinelli. He's a uh, he's like a a Yale uh, professor or something like that. Uh, it's like the thirty six key financial metrics that every real estate investor needs to know. And I'll get that exact uh, book title for you, but it's by Frank Gallinelli. It'll it's, be in the description, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, yeah, that book is a mind changing because it it teaches you. I mean, cash on cash return is the easiest. Um, and uh, analyze metric you can use or mm -hmm. tool. Um, but there's internal rate of return, which can get very complicated. You you definitely need to have a thorough understanding of that. But uh, to give you the true definition, the internal, rate, the internal rate of return is the discount rate at which the cash flows are equal to the net present value of zero. To most people, that doesn't mean anything. Anything, right. <laughs> Essentially what that means, uh, to break it down and simplify, it's the analyzed rate of return of an investment accounting for the time value of money. Um, so that gets very – that can get – pretty complicated it's not something that you're going to do by hand you you use computer software like excel mm -hmm. uh there's formulas that you can put up so with a lot of the underwriting that i'm doing i essentially put together a performer or a spreadsheet and i just plug and play the numbers and it spits out these uh the, the returns at the end of the right. day but as far as the returns that you need to know i mean there's three main ones cash on cash return you need to know the internal rate of return and the equity multiple Equity multiple just says for every dollar you put in, how much you're getting back in return. Okay. But to, to stay on topic, uh, you were asking about mentors. I mean, that comes through just building relationships. Going, If you want to get a mentor on the commercial side, go to where they go. And that's just commercial real estate events around the city. Uh, CCIM, like I said, that's a great organization to be a part of. Uh, ULI is the Urban Land Institute. Uh, they have uh, essentially tours or walkthroughs of buildings or projects around the city uh they also have like morning coffee connects and there's a variety of topics that they they go through but they also have like they literally have mentorship programs too mm. so i was in two of their programs so far uh i was like 19 years old i was in their ekin johnson's mentorship program with uli they literally pair you with a, a professional it wasn't really a one-on-one -on -one thing so that was kind of odd they just teach you about what industry you want to go into and some of the 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 methods you can go to actually be successful. Um, and then they also have um, another one called, 
they're, they're I mean, they have the young professionals mentorship group. They have all these mentorships group and they're, I mean, they're super affordable too. I mean, it's, it's probably like a six month mentorship program and it'll cost you about $200. So not mm -hmm. bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. Especially if you want to get on the commercial side. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, go attend all these different events that most commercial brokers attend and you'll start meeting the you'll start meeting the same individuals. And that's one thing with most industries, right? It's a small, tight niche community. One event that they go to that a lot of professionals go to, they're gonna be going to the other ones. So you start seeing the same faces over and over and then you just start building relationships. Uh I mean when you're super young, you're you're at an advantage, right? When you're like twenty years old and Everybody in the room is 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 forty plus. You stand out number one, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, a lot of these guys. I mean, they be willing to take you out to dinner or lunch just to talk about is, is this actually something you want to get into? And they'll they they'll let you know like how, what it took to to actually get to become successful because it's it's hard. I mean, it's it's a dog eat dog world mm -hmm. out there when it comes to commercial, and uh, you definitely need great mentors that are that are going to help you out. How do you decide who's going to be a great mentor? I mean, look into their background. See if they're a top professional, number one. You don't want someone that's going to be mentoring you that doesn't know what they're doing or they're half-assing what they do. They're so uh, look into them. Ask around. I mean, knowing that professionals know other professionals, ask around. Hey, do you know so-and-so? Oh, I met with them the other day. And then you just have a ca casual conversation about it. But the biggest thing is building relationships. And when you're young, it's a lot easier because you stand out, number one. And people, when when they're older, you're just willing. You want to give it back in a way, right? So a lot of people are willing to mentor you in that process. Now, if you go up to them direct and be like, "Hey, can you be my mentor?" They're gonna be like, "I don't know who the hell you are." <laughs> like, get out my face. Right. But it, it's something that takes some time to build. Like, just every time you see them out and about at a real estate event, just be like, "Hey, what's going on, Bob?" I, I remember. This is when I met you, and this is how you've had an impact. You gave me this advice, and this is what I've done with that advice. I love it. I love it. And one thing, ladies and gentlemen at home, that I want you to kind of pay attention to that he said right there is that when you're young, you stand out. What that says to me is that there's not enough young people going to these events. Oh, there, there's not. It's, it's and crazy. He just confirmed yeah. it right there, ladies and gentlemen. That means is you need to be the individual who decides to go out of your way to put yourself in uncomfortable situations to get around people you don't know, to get out of your little box and communicate and network and go to these events and be that young individual that's in that room of 40 and 50 and 60 and 70-year-olds who are, mm -hmm. you know, industry, you know, vets. Because not only are you going to be an individual that stands out because – you know, they they want to give back as well, a lot of people want to give back. But you're yeah. also going to they're going to notice, oh, this guy's 20 years old. The next youngest guy here is 35. He wants it. He's hungry. The, he I promise you guys, he is not the only 23 or 24 year old commercial real estate agent in Kansas City. But he might have been the only one that went to these events. And what does that say? That tells you that he was hungry, that he desired to, to, to acquire knowledge. And you have to be that same type of individual. Stop thinking that there's other people out there your age, you know, willing to that are all willing to work hard because that's false. And when you assume that and then you decide to not go work hard, you end up being just like them. So yeah. be somebody that stands out. That's something that's and you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. Like it was weird going to those CCIM events, those breakfasts. Everyone's like everyone's old as hell. Number one, it's a white male dominated industry and. Uh, they see some tall black kid, and I mean, I stand out, number one, so they're just like, who is this guy? I've seen him around. I'm not sure what he does. Let me go talk to him and see what he does. Now, you're, you're, it's going to be an uncomfortable situation because you don't know anyone. I mean, At you're all. walking into a room with all these guys, and I mean, a lot of these guys are millionaires, so it's kind of hard to be like, just walk into the conversation and know casual. what questions right. you should be asking to have a constant dialogue. But it's something, I mean, you just get used to. You might ask some stupid questions the first time, but then eventually it, it, it just gets easier. You learn, right. You yeah. learn, but you only learn as you take action. And that's, exactly. the, that's the most important thing here. You know, he bigger pockets has so much information, but you know what? There's still millions of young people who will instead just go comment under 
you know, people's, you know, successful real estate people's Instagrams mm -hmm. that have millions of followers and no time to respond and then mm -hmm. get pissed at them for not responding when they could easily just go to bigger pockets and find all this information. Yeah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I do understand that it might be challenging to understand this information, but at least if you have that baseline knowledge or understand the wording or the terms, you can take that, go to these events. Now you have something that you can present to have dialogue with mm -hmm. individuals. That's the one thing I always told myself and try to tell my friends when 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 I'm feeling like they are asking for advice is you got to know the chessboard like the back of your hand. Like you yeah. got to know the terms in the industry. You got to. You're not going to know everything if you're just getting started. But one thing I do, I'm, I don't have any properties. I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not, I don't particularly plan on becoming one. But one thing I try to do is I write down in my notebook all these terms in real estate. Oh, I yeah. write down these terms, try to learn the definitions, try to take notes. And then when I come into conversations with people, whether old or young, I can at least kind of understand what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. He's uh, he mentioned cap rate. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know what that is, yeah. but I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a real estate agent. I don't have any properties, but I know what it is because mm -hmm. I want to know the chessboard of like the back of my hand of things that I want to acquire knowledge in. And that's what I suggest other people do is like. We, we really got to just take action, learn the baseline, and then we'll learn more in depth about how to utilize that information mm -hmm. or those terms when we meet people yeah. and network and connect. And, and know. there's all these different channels, right, that you can utilize. I mean, there's podcasts, there's books out there, there's events, there's face-to-face -face meetings. Like, mm -hmm. attend all of them, especially when you're young, because mm -hmm. you start hearing the same information over and over, and that's how it actually re resonates in your head. You hear one thing one time, that doesn't help you out. One all. one verbiage or term for the industry. I mean, yeah, you have it for right now, but what about all the million other terms out there? Mm -hmm. So just just try to integrate yourself in in all everything, all things commercial real estate. If that's one of your your interests, absolutely. And to talk a little bit further about you know about commercial real estate, I want to talk about the niche areas, like the the the, the industries within the industry, if that yeah. makes sense. So <coughs> we have office spaces. We have we have, uh, you know, apartment complexes. We have um, work off, you know, co-working spaces. Yeah. Like so there's there's four primary property types. There's office, there's retail, there's industrial, uh, and then there's hospitality, which includes ho hotels and stuff like that. Obviously, there's the subsectors of, of those, too. I mean, with multifamily, it can be a duplex or it can be multifamily residential, which is two to four units. It can be commercial multifamily, which is five units and above. Uh, with office, uh, I mean, you can get into mixed use where you have, let's just say, retail or office on the ground floor and then retail above. Like, there's all these different niches that you can go down. And so, first off, I don't know why that just made me excited, but... Yeah, I, I, I love hearing mixed-use properties just because one of my goals in life at some point is I've always wanted to – have you ever been like a kid and you've been in like a shopping mall area in, a, in New York City or, you know, just to give a direct example, been in River Market or yeah. something like that or, or a City Market, and mm -hmm. you're just like – Oh yeah, this is a restaurant here, but what's that up the stairs? Uh -huh. Like, why do I see people casually walking downstairs with their laptop and stuff? And you figure out that somebody lives upstairs, yeah. and that like I always workplace. Yeah, I've yeah. always wanted to like own a bodega in like Brooklyn mm -hmm. and live upstairs and like just have a mixed use. Is that what it's called, mixed use property? Yeah, mixed use. Uh, yeah, yeah, see, look, learning terms today. So all these um, different property types are in one building. Yeah, yeah, and so that's just always been such a cool thing that I've kind of like wanted in my life. So one day it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to ask you, what's your, I don't know if you ha are focused on a spe specific niche in mm -hmm. commercial real estate or not, but are there any, you know, of those four that you mentioned that you're really interested in or that yeah. you focus on specifically and mm -hmm. just kind of talk about that? Yeah, so there's two niches or property types that I focus on. It's multifamily and office sales and leasing. On the multifamily side, I mean, that deals with all things multifamily, two, two units, uh, a duplex and up. Uh, that could deal with um, uh, trailer parks or mobile homes. I mean, it's a wide spectrum. Uh, and then I also do office leasing. So I do have a few prop i do actually have a few office buildings for sale so i sell office buildings as well but for the most part it's office leasing okay so working with companies that actually help them find space okay got you and so 
and that was going to be my next question. So you kind of answered that right there because, you know, that can be anything. Some That can be one person who owns one business and wants mm-hmm. to get an office. That includes the type of people you work with, too. Like, just once, say I was like, oh, I need an office to run the College Stutzer Show podcast, Media yeah. Empire, right? And so you'll you'll help people find properties there, and then you'll also help FlexPod try to find – is am I correct? It's yeah. Got you. Nice. I mean, I'm actually working with a lot of smaller tenants right now. I'm not sure if you're aware of the Location 1 building off of 63rd. Uh, it's essentially a new developer, a new owner just came in and bought the building, and they're getting rid of a, a good thing for a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a – Location 1, it's a building of primarily minority-owned businesses. They're essentially being forced to relocate because they're going to th- – I can't really get into the plans of what they – but the – the talk around town is that they're going to be tearing those down and making those affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those tenants, knowing that they're minority-owned businesses, and it's the rents are super cheap. Like you can be in a 500 square foot office, and it's going to cost you three, four hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. No, the right. cheapest rents in the market, essentially. Right. Uh, and we're actually trying to help them relocate to surrounding buildings mm-hmm. uh, based on some of the requirements. So that's been a little bit difficult, but uh, just because some of the requirements. Uh, as far as price range isn't going to fit because that's not what's available out there on the, the market. market right. But a lot of what I've been doing is, is talking to a lot of owners of like co-working spaces. So there's a few out in uh, KCK. There's a, the Staples KCK. Um, there's a few in like Midtown. I mean, these are like small mom and pop co-working spaces that most people don't know anything mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Cause I did I didn't know, you know, the only ones I know in the Kansas City area are like the big, you Flex know, Pod Flex Pod, WeWork, we work. and there's one other that I think is built in the One Light Building or uh, or the Two Light Building. There's one, right? I don't know if it's in the building, but there's one called the Kessler Building. Uh, hmm. That's all co-working space. Yeah, man, it's crazy. So, with in in the office space, how has it been? You know, since mm-hmm. uh, 2020 March. Yeah. Um. How did that affect you? What did you have to learn? How did you have to pivot, adapt? Um, because, you know, that's one thing in the real estate world that's been talked about a lot. With oh, people yeah. transitioning to remote work, to mm-hmm. offices, telling the people they don't need to come in anymore, to yeah. people not being even allowed at the beginning to go mm-hmm. into these co-working spaces. So what did that look like for you? And, yeah, yeah just talk about that experience over the I, past I, two I years. I love that question because I actually came onto the commercial real estate side back in October of last year. Mm-hmm. So prior to that, I was on the residential side. Uh, and knowing that my focus and I get to show choose what properties types I want to focus on. Uh, I mean, it was primarily multifamily at the very beginning, started switching over into office, got a few office listings. Um, but, yeah, I mean, activity has definitely started picking up recently uh, when it comes to companies. I mean, it depends on the size of the company and culture. I mean, culture is the biggest thing uh, that's keeping most companies um wanting to have office space because a lot of companies are deciding to do like a flexible work uh, model where employees, they're probably working from home a few days a week, but they still have to come to the office probably two days a week. So uh, it's a great way to alternate out your employees. So not everyone's compiled into the same space at one time, especially with uh, issues related related or dealing with COVID. Um, so, uh, definitely in the beginning this year, it was definitely hard because I had some office listings and they weren't budging. Like I'm, I'm cold calling all of these, these office owners or, uh, these company owners, business owners, and I'm getting responses, but a lot of them are like, oh yeah, we don't know what we, we don't really know what we're going to be doing in the next year or so. So they might have a lease that's expiring this summer, but they don't know. I mean, it all comes down to. Uh, getting with all the employees and talking it over with them to see what works best for them. But at the end of the day, what works best for the employees isn't always what's best for the company and uh, the shareholders and and stuff like that part of the company. Uh, And it kind of comes down to having that conversation, like I said, with employees and figuring out uh, if you can still have innovative pro- uh, progress or collaboration and seeing how your employees prefer, uh, perform when they're at home. With some companies, I mean, they've actually seen an increase in productivity. Production, some yeah. have actually seen a decrease. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what sector or what industry you're in. Because it's going to vary. Right? Yeah, that, that dictates if you need office space going forward or not. Personally, I believe I'm very bullish on office. I think it's it's 
I think what's going to be considered up and coming is probably going to be the co-working space because it offers so much adaptability and flexibility for startup companies. You may be in a small space starting out, but if you bring on all these different employees and you want to grow and have that culture, and it's a lot better to uh, come up with ideas on products and designs in person than online because online is kind of where everyone sees you. Any conversation you have, it's not really one-on-one. Uh, and it's not like you can go up to, um, let's just say, Gene in the office and be like, hey, what's going on, Gene? How was the weekend? It's not something you do online. It's more an in-person interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what a lot of companies are still trying to figure out, even to this day. I mean, I'm calling – that's that's honestly one of the questions that I, I like to ask business owners is, hey, what, how do you see your office coming along in the next – few years. I mean, what are your plans going forward? I, I know. And then I talked to them about stats of what I'm seeing with other companies here in KC. Yeah. And you were kind of moving into the next few questions I wanted to ask anyway. So yeah. look at you ahead of the game. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to ask, um, how do you pre, I guess, pre-qualify buyers and like what type of questions are you asking to really understand their needs to see if you can even help them in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on the commercial side, it's completely different than residential. So uh, in residential, you pretty much have a pre-approval letter or pre-qualification letter from a bank. On the commercial side, it all depends on, I mean, the the number one question I'm asking is, is what experience do you have in the commercial space? If you want to acquire a five unit, so what's considered um, uh, commercial for multifamily, if you want to acquire something that's five units or above, um, I mean, it comes down to your bank statements at the end of the day. How are you going to be acquiring this property? Are you doing a 1031 exchange process? Are you using all cash? Are you doing, I mean, what method? Are you using bank financing? Oh, if that's the case, what bank have you spoken with? And if that's the case, then I get their contact information and I contact the bank just to see um, what's the likelihood that they would lend on a property that meets these requirements. Mm. So it's a lot of just vetting, looking at bank statements if they're personal all cash. Uh, there's a a bad word in the industry when it comes to syndicating because everybody wants to become a syndicator. Everybody wants to start acquiring multifamily properties with none of their own money. They want to raise all the capital. I'm just like, okay, uh, if you're doing a syndication model, uh, show me some uh, show me some letters from your from your investors that are saying they're willing to do this if you uh, acquire this type of property. I mean, if you don't have those letters, there's not really much I can do for you because at the end of the day. If it's a listing that I have and a buyer's interested in it, I need a lot more information from you just to make my my seller comfortable. Um, so it, it, it's a lot of questions that you're asking just to understand their experience. If they don't have the experience, what team do you have behind you? Because if you don't have a team behind you, you don't have – I mean, the three biggest things you're going to need, you're going to need someone that's out there searching for the property. You need someone that needs to understand the analysis of it. Uh, you need a contractor, you need a property manager, you need a full service team because obviously you going in and you're trying to take down a 20 unit property, you're not going to do this by yourself. So, I mean, if you like the experience, what experience does your team have with acquiring these properties? And if you can't showcase that you have experience or you or you have the know-how of of acquiring properties, then it's not something I'm even going to spend my time on because there's a million buyers out there. Buyers are the easiest clients to get. Now, finding the properties is the hardest thing. Mm. And when I have a property and I have uh, a list of hundreds of buyers, it comes down to which ones are a priority for me. So which ones are clients? Uh, so I, I break it down into three categories. Clients are people that I have a, a buyer, rep, or agency agreement with. Uh, then there's priority uh, cl- uh, priority prospects or, or buyers. Those are individuals that have a track record of acquiring properties. If you don't have a track record, you're going to be on the lowest Bottom, tier, right. and I'm not. I mean, I'll I'll send you properties that none of my the other top tiers want. don't want to look at, right. but you're not going to get the best properties because I have no faith that you're going to be able to close. Mm-hmm. So, so that 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 begs this makes me want to ask this question. Mm-hmm. So, let's say there's an individual never invested in commercial property yet. Matter of fact. Just re- re- not that there's anything wrong with renting, but just rents their house, does, yeah. doesn't own any residential or commercial property. Mm-hmm. But they just came upon some cash. Yeah. Unfortunately, grandpa passes away. They get $250,000 mm-hmm. cash. They got it. It's theirs in their name, and they want to go invest in some commercial property. Okay. What do they need to do? 
So the biggest step, I mean, they haven't done anything yet. They're not even in the world of real estate yet. Well, they just the got number money. one thing is you need to learn what you're doing. I mean, I one thing that I like to do is put together uh, pro forma statements with my clients. I don't do it for them because that's a huge liability on me. If something happens like, oh, you thought I was going to get these returns. Well, I mean, the whole point in me underwriting is based on a lot of my assumptions, but it, it comes down to understanding what your requirements are. If you tell me that you're looking for an internal rate of return of 12%, yeah, we can find properties that, that fit that requirement, but do you have the know-how uh, or the team to actually take that, that project from acquisition through the business plan to disposition when you decide to sell? So, I mean, the number one thing is, do you know how to underwrite properties and do you know anything about real estate? What is your strategy? If you can't tell me what your strategy is, I can't put forth any effort into helping you out because all the liabilities on me. If I just sell your property, you don't know what you're doing. Um, you buy the property. <laughs> I mean, there's no faith that you're going to be able to execute the business plan. I'm probably not going to even have any interest in you. I might meet with you for a few minutes, realize, hey, this this guy isn't going to go anywhere and just give you recommendations like, hey, uh, these are the first three things you need to be doing. You need to know how uh, to execute a business plan or understand what strategy you're going to utilize. There's a core strategy where you're acquiring a property, not much uh, money that you're putting into it. It's pretty much going to be the cream of the crop, A class, B class, something that doesn't need a lot of uh, fixing up or repairs. That's like a long-term buy and hold. Core plus would be uh, there's a few things that you need to fix up, like capital expenditures. That can be the roof. Uh, might be older plumbing, something like that. Uh, value add, that's essentially a huge play where you're acquiring a property. It might even be cash flowing at that point in time. So you might have to use uh, a bridge or mezzanine loan uh, in order to acquire it. Uh, and the value add strategy, it's kind of like a burr, which is very autonomous with uh, bigger pockets. You're going to buy the property, rehab it, rent it out, refinance, and repeat that process. Mm -hmm. So by repeating that process, essentially what you're doing is the money that you use to acquire that property, you're pulling it out because you raised the value of that property. So, I mean, there's two strategies you can do to get your money back out. You can sell the property, which you have all these capital gains taxes that you need to pay off, or you can do a 1031 exchange where you exchange into a like or similar property in size and value or higher. So, um, I mean, with the value add, the, the main things you're going to do, I mean, that might involve uh, painting, changing out the flooring, fixing up the exterior or landscaping. You might be doing something to the interior of the units to increase that that. Uh, that valuation there, um, I mean, that might entail updating the kitchen or bathroom. But one one math thing that I get people all the time, uh, just to put things to perspective, when it comes to a fiveplex, uh, or let's just say a four unit, like I said, those are based on comps. So other properties in the area that have sold that are very similar in what they have sold for. That's pretty much what your property is worth. When it comes to five units and above, it's based on income income approach. So if you have a five unit, I'm just going to do some quick math for you all. Quick math, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a five unit and you just increase the rents $10, that's all you're doing. You're just increasing the rents $10. So you're increasing it uh, $50 a month or $600 per year. Now, if you're deciding to sell that property in the next couple of years, and let's just so say you sold it at a, let's just say a seven cap or something like that. By increasing the rent $600 or $600 increase, that's an increase or positive increase to the NOI, which is the net operating income. That's just your income minus your expenses. Mm -hmm. So if you increase your NOI $600 on a seven cap property, you just take 600 divided by 0 0.07. You just increase the value of that property by $8,500. Not right. doing that's just $10 increase. Mm -hmm. Now imagine buying a fiveplex <laughs> and you're doing all this work to the property and you increase the rents, let's just say fifty dollars a month. Mm -hmm. That's gonna have an exponential impact on the resale value or if you decide to do a cash out refinance. That's why so many people are able to put in all this money to acquire the property and get that that money out because they raise the value of that property so much. Most investors, like I said, they buy a property, a commercial property, based on the income that's derived from it. So if you're buying something at a at a seven cap and you increase the rents a thousand dollars, let's just say a thousand dollars a year, that's going to have an exponential impact on what the property is worth compared to doing a value add for residential. And you can only sell it for what the comps are, right? I mean, you're not going to buy a property that's worth 
let's just say the average uh, houses in the neighborhood is 250,000. You're not going to put all these granite countertops and all this stuff and be like, well, I know the neighborhood over, you got 400K. Well, guess what? That's probably on the other side of Truce or in a more affluent neighborhood. Uh, you have to stay within the parameters of that neighborhood because if the average comps are 250, guess what? Your property is average going to be around 250. It's not going to go much above that. Right. And one thing that that made me think of is like how, you know, if you use this isn't particularly in the commercial world, but like for a residential property, if you use uh, you're like, okay, this address, what are the average rents for this address in this, you know, neighborhood? And then you put you know, how far out do you want us to measure this? One mile, yeah. two mile, three miles. It's like, you'll put one mile, and I'm like, okay, average rents are $850. You put three miles, which doesn't seem like a lot, and yeah. it'll be like $1,200. you like, mm-hmm. oh. So that's what it made me think of is like, you really got to be within that circle of yeah. that neighborhood very closely or else numbers can change drastically. Oh, yeah. And if you don't run your numbers correct, you're going to end up bottomed out. It's location, know? location, location mm-hmm. at the end of the day when it comes to any properties that you buy. Now, you can buy properties east of Truce and make a really good return. It just kind of comes down. I mean, you're going to have more risk, so you should expect a higher return. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the spectrum right there, right? I mean, the higher risk you have on a project, let's just say you're doing a value add or you're doing development or uh, – uh, you're holding some land that's on a path for development. Um, you have a lot of risk there, right? If you acquire a property and it's just land and there's no income that you're getting, you have, and there's a downturn of the property values drop. I mean, you're getting hit hard because number one, your property values just went down. You're paying money each month. So at that point, it's not even an asset. It's a liability because you're not making any money off that land. You're, you're, paying the mortgage company to to hold that land now um because there's higher risk associated with it which means you can lose everything you expect a higher return exactly. for most development projects most people aren't even going to consider them unless it's like a 18 percent rr plus mm-hmm. man ladies and gentlemen he's dropping gems he's dropping fire so what i would suggest is that you run this episode back again for later in this week and listen to it again with a notebook if you're listening and you're driving right now don't take out a notebook please do not pull out your iphone to take notes but you know run this episode back any terms you don't understand write them down do some research on them any anything that sounded really interesting write the the term down or what you heard that made it really interesting and do some further research or you know even better and I don't know how much time he has, but shoot Nathan a DM. Shoot him an email. Ask him a question. If he has some time, maybe he'll respond. If he doesn't, you know, we don't. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> respond. I, I like helping people out. I mean, people have paved, paved the path for me. I wouldn't be where I'm at right now without my mentors. I'm actually a mentor at uh, UMKC, the black school. So they have a black mentorship program. Yeah. So uh, how does that, how's mentee. that been going? So this is something that just recently started. It's going okay. I just sent a message to him the other day. Um, just waiting on that response. Mm-hmm. But when you're a college student, it is, I mean, especially coming straight from high school, freshman or sophomore, it, it, it takes a while to get used to because, uh, I mean, the classes get a lot harder. But at the end of the day, it comes down to just showing your persistence. That's what college was for me. It, number one, it was the connections, the relationships that you built. And then number two, it was show, showcasing to the world that you were persistent. You were dedicated to get through it. Now, there's a lot of classes like, um, I mean, you have your core your core classes and then you have your electives, which, I mean, I guess they pair with your, your course load. Uh, that don't even have anything to do with the career path you want to go down, but it's something that's part of the curriculum that you have to take, and you just have to do it. I mean, there were so many classes, I was just like, why am I doing this? This isn't going to have any impact on my life, but it's something that was required. You got to pay for it and, and get it over with. I love it. Yeah, and and I think I, n- I never was a huge fan of, of school, but one thing it'll teach you that's really important, and I think we've kind of like lightly covered it throughout this podcast or if you're listening closely, you understand that it's necessary. It's just showing up. Yeah. You just got to show up. <laughs> Honestly, just you show really up. You really just got to show up. Honestly, if you did the bare minimum and just showed not that I suggest that, yeah. but I'm just saying, if you did the bare minimum and just showed up to everything in your life, showed up for your relationship, never should you just give bare minimum. But I promise you, if you just show up, though, and everything you do in life, you're going to be okay. 
Oh, not, no, you will. But nobody wants to just be okay. We want to be great. We want to be amazing. We want to yeah. give back to the world. We want to be the best partner. We want to be the best businessman. We want to be the best everything, right? Yeah. Um, but if you just show up, bro, you're going to be all right. And exactly. That's, and that's the problem with, with, with the world is we just don't show up enough, you know, mm-hmm. not consistent enough. But if we show up and are consistent, like the main lesson you'll learn from school <laughs> is you'll be all right. You know? yeah. If you're 14 years old right now and you're hating high school already, bro, just show up. Mm-hmm. I tell people Shut all up. the time, I mean, if you're going to go to college, the two biggest things you should be getting out of college would be the connections. And then probably the number two thing is coming out with the analytical ability, because with school and a lot of formalized education, they're teaching you what to do and what to think. Mm-hmm. You don't want to come out of s- some experience and people. I mean, you need to be able to think on your feet and, and critically analyze situations. If you're just going off of, oh, well, I think this, but you, you're very opinionated and you can't back it with fact or anything like that 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 somewhat gets annoying because you have you have an opinion about something but you can't state why you have that opinion you have that opinion because other people have that opinion or mm-hmm. someone you respect has that opinion okay their opinion matters but why why can't you go against the status quo i mean i i go against the status quo all the time you're going to tell me this i'm going to be like okay why is it that way you can't explain why it is that way, then you probably don't know enough about the subject as it is. That's real. That's real. Me and my, uh, it's a fun fact, me and my uh, coworker talk about that all the time. It's like, ask why. And if you can't, if someone gets pissed off when you ask them why, it's probably not the best person you listen to in the first place, you know? Yeah. They're like, you should do this and with your with your property or with your real estate. I'm like, okay, cool, but, yeah. but why? Yeah. And then they're like, <laughs> and you're like, yeah. yep, all right, no, not to listen to you, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so or you know, people provided advice and they don't do, do, they don't perform or use the advice that they provide. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to it's me. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, it's very funny. Ladies and gentlemen, I hopefully, hopefully you guys have been enjoying this conversation. I think this, you know, we've had a few people in the real estate industry on, but I think this has been the most informational, like most energy, most, uh, most, yeah, like most in depth conversation i've had about real estate and that makes me excited and happy and i hope mm-hmm. hopefully the the guests enjoyed as well so i did want to ask you you know if uh if you were to describe your situation three years from now what would you want it to look like you know when it, when we're talking about the real estate world when we're talking about your interest in investing and yeah. you know building at you know acquiring assets and growing mm-hmm. your wealth and taking care of family you know all the all the beautiful things of life you know if you were to think about three years to, from now where would you want to be what would you want to be different be- and, yeah and i asked this question because once we, we say it, it's a form of manifestation. Now you just mm-hmm. got to go out there and do it. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely possible. But what does that look like for you? So two things. So a lot of people are so gung-ho about getting on the investment side of things, but they don't really have a reason for why they want to do do that, right? I mean, for me, I want to acquire investments. But right now, I'm, I'm primarily focused. Primarily focused on my active income source. So mm-hmm. what I do day in and day out as a commercial real estate agent, I'm trying to grow that active income source up as much as I can so I can have more funds to funnel that into the passive side. Now, like I said, it comes down to your goals and aspirations. I don't have a goal to acquire all this passive income uh, just so I can not work my day job. I like my day job. I enjoy what I do. So for me, it, it comes down to building wealth and acquiring wealth just because uh, that will allow me to have more time freedom to spend with family and friends and do whatever I want. But when it comes to my active income source, I that's that's my primary focus right now. I mean, one of my goals for this year was to make 100K in my first year. I fell short by half. I mean, I, I'm probably going to be in the 50,000 range, but it's because I, I made a goal that's so high that it's it's almost hard to be attainable. But guess what? Making a goal so high, uh, you're going to surpass what your actual goal was going to mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, most people on the commercial side, they don't make any money their first year. I was lucky to make some money my first year. Um, I mean, it, it's it's with a lot of help through my mentors, though. Um, but, yeah, I would say in, in the next three years, I see myself being on the ownership side of things. My, my goal by... By 25, so I turn 24 December 7th. My goal next year is to acquire a property. So it's probably going to be a small incremental uh, development, so probably a duplex, fourplex, something like that. Um, but I'm more of a long-term buy-and-hold guy. I'm not someone that wants to acquire the property, uh, do a huge value-add strategy, and then sell it within the next year. That's not my goal. I, I'm not planning to live off that money anyway. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to live off my active income source, my passive income source, probably not going to spend any of that money until I get 30 because I want it to, it's compound interest, right? I mean, Compounding is everything. all the money that you get from your investments, why spend it if you don't need to spend it? Put that, put that money aside, save it only to acquire more properties because I mean, once you acquire your first property, everything gets a lot easier. Once you can showcase to investors, you have the experience or I took this property through the business plan, it's going to be a lot easier to raise capital. So that's actually one of my my plans or goals for next year is to acquire and take down a small duplex to a fourplex. And that's going to be through capital that I raise. Now, I'm going to have some money into the deal, right? You want to have some sweat, sweat equity or some some skin in the game is what they say, Um, because. If you're raising 100% of the funds from investors and this is your first project, you have no incentive when times get gets rough, rough right. to, to continue to with that business plan, right? right? I mean, if you don't have any money into it to deal, you're just like, shit, it's hard. I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I'm going to leave it now, alone. Now, all right. these people have all their money that you just raised capital from into the project. Mm-hmm. You need to put skin in the game. Like, fork up ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 of yourself and put it into the project. Because for someone that's like me, I mean, I'm 23. $20,000 is a lot of money. That's not something I'm just going to put into a project. And when time gets hard, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. Plus, this is what I do on a day-to-day basis anyway. I help investors acquire properties. So it's, it's going to be a lot easier for me. Number one, I understand the process. It's going to be a lot easier to raise capital from investors because I know the lingo, number one. I know what it takes to uh, do the asset management side of things because it's it's – there's professionals I've met up with. I mean, I haven't actually done the asset management side of commercial real estate, but I mean, it's through mentors, like I said, through connections, and it's through knowledge or intuition that you get through your experience. Man, practice. We talk about practice. Practice, yeah, it's practice. Practice? <laughs> we talk about practice. Sorry, no, <laughs> no. Nah, nah. Shout out to Alan Iverson. Yeah. Um, but but no, I love it, man. I love it. I love, you know, I'm not trying to make it sound like you're mad younger than me. I'm 24, you're 23. Yeah. But I love that you're you're so young and you're so, you know, up to date about what's actually going on in your industry. Now, yeah. that sounds like, well, that should be an obvious. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's not. There's no, it's not. A lot of people They're... who are young and they get into a world and they want to act like they know everything because, because they want to know everything. And that's yeah. cool, but you don't need to act like you know everything if you mm-hmm. don't. And... One thing about this conversation is you're very informed about your industry. You're practicing. You're putting in the work. You're connecting. You're learning. You're applying that knowledge. You're you're flipping that knowledge, doing it again. You're open to having conversations. You're you know writing content. You know the best the the best thing I learned about learning something is after you learn something to try to share it with other people. Yeah. That way, I'm sure this conversation will help you out by just <laughs> sharing everything you've just talked about. Just puts deeper reminders of what this word means what this is oh, what yeah, this exactly. map is and long story short all i'm trying to say is shout out to you for you know really doing your due diligence in your field and mm-hmm. like hustling and, and learning and actually knowing what you're talking about yeah and then coming on here to share this information and this conversation with the listeners so i appreciate you for that yeah for um, sure I mean, one thing that I tell people all the time, if you're I mean, before you go into any industry, meet out with professionals that are actually in that industry to see if you truly will enjoy it or not. I mean, there's so many doctors out there that don't enjoy what they're doing. Right. I mean, they're making pretty decent amount, but they don't have time freedom. What I mean by time freedom, that varies that. I mean, that's that's something that's that varies based on the person. Right. Mm -hmm. But time freedom to me is having time to spend with family or friends or take time off when I want to because I want to travel or do whatever I want to do. Um, you don't have time freedom as a as a doctor, especially when you're on call or you're working three days straight or something along mm-hmm. those lines. There's a lot of doctors I've asked this question like, hey, what do you like most about your job? A lot of them say helping people. But for the most part, I would say, what's the thing you don't like? Well, I don't have the time to spend with the people that I, I love the most. Mm. So I'm just like, well, so you're making a lot of money, but you don't have the time to spend that money or, or utilize that or or be on trips with your family or friends or spend time with them. I think that's the biggest thing you could have in life is to actually build a relationship and have fun traveling and, and experience things that most people don't get to experience. Right. I think the question I always ask myself and encourage others to ask is, is the sacrifice worth the value? So it's like, yeah. you know, yes, you're helping people. We love it. Also, shout out to all the doctors. Thank yeah. you. No, this is no diss to you or nothing. But it's like, yes, you're helping people. That's awesome. 
Mm-hmm. But and that's a sacrifice. Your time, your effort, eight years of school, uh, six years for some. Shout out to my boy John, UMKC six year medical program. Now his year residence in New Orleans. Shout out to my boy. Um, but anyways, um, so is that sacrifice of helping people worth all? You know, like the value. Okay, mm-hmm. I got I get a lot of money, but I don't spend time with friends and family. I don't get to see my daughter. I don't get to do this. I don't get. To it's like you got to do that math, you know, <laughs> before you get into an industry. It's like, like you said, go talk to those people. How yeah. much time do you have free to hang out with your family? Oh, I get about an hour a night. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, maybe this ain't the industry for me then. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Understanding that. So, yeah, that's that's really important. So, um, I have one statement and then one last question, and we'll mm-hmm. wrap it up today. Again, thank you for coming on to the show today, man. The College Stetson Show, formerly known as the Culture Talks Podcast, but you know, the Culture Talks. I love that. You know. All the information you shared, I can't wait to listen back to it myself. Mm-hmm. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed. Remember, make sure you leave a five-star review and share this. If you enjoyed this conversation or found it interesting or insightful, please run it back and listen again. Write notes. Do more research. That's how you'll get better. Mm-hmm. My statement is, I feel like a lot of real estate uh, people in real estate that really care about what they're doing and really mm-hmm. you know, put in the work would also automatically – be some pretty good operators when it comes to like running a business outside of real estate yeah it's like you know economies of scale cost of cost of goods Mm. like uh the you know return on investment like all these like terms and all the numbers that you have to run knowing how to you know i don't know how to do it's finance at the end of the day at the end of the day, yeah. and that and that's what you know. My our last podcast with with Reggie Harris, he he went into accounting, also went to UMKC. Business oh, Reggie, school. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so he went into accounting, and he uh he was just saying like the numbers, man, that'll apply to whatever business you get no, into. Oh, it does, yeah. And he's like, if anything, that's 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 the move. If you're gonna go study business in school, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's like. He's like, I'm saying the big move for me was really understanding finances. If you understand the finances, the numbers, you can run the numbers well. Mm-hmm. It's going to help you a lot. So I just wanted to say that because I was thinking about the the terms you're using. I was like, hold up. All this stuff and the data you need to learn how to run. I'm like, this is perfect for an operator of like yeah. a business. So um, last question of the day. And you came in uh, uh, early, which is on time, yeah. today. Um, and you heard the end of my last podcast. So you know what I'm about to ask right now. But I'm going to ask it. Last day on Earth, 110 years old, and you've you've lived out your dreams. You've done everything you needed to do. You know you've taken care of your family. You've built wealth. You've you've lived time free for the majority of your life. <laughs> um, but your great grandkids are sitting at your your feet, and this is the last thing you get to leave them with. And they ask you, "Hey, great grandpa, what's one piece of advice on how to live life? What are you going to share with them?" I'd say the biggest thing is just to. Be a value creator. Try to bring value to someone else's life because you never know what someone is going through on a day-to-day basis. Just try to be nice. Just try to be helpful. Try to be resourceful. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. I mean, one of the things that I want to focus on uh, when it comes to, um, like, certain communities, now there's there's access to, to resources everywhere out there, but not a lot of people know where to find it or how to piece it all together. So one thing that I want to do is – I guess go around to community centers and teach people about building financial wealth. And a lot of people don't understand how to do that. Um, and that's one thing I would say, like, just try to be helpful, try to be resourceful, try to have a positive impact on people's lives. Because at the end of the day, uh, you, you don't want to be on your, your deathbed with all these different regrets saying, oh, I wish I could have done this. I wish I could have done that. Just be nice. And uh, as long as you're You've had an impact, like try to have something that people remember you by. And, and obviously you want it to be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just try to give value to people. Try to be nice. Try to be helpful because, I mean, you never know what impact one small little statement like, hey, I like your shoes or something like that is going to have on that person's day. Absolutely. That's key. I love it. Value add, ladies and gentlemen. Run this podcast back. Write notes. Be nice to people. Be kind. Learn a skill. Do your do your due diligence before going into an industry. There's so many different things we covered today. So I really hopeful hope you guys enjoyed this podcast today. This is the cost Collis Stetzer show. So remember that. Not the culture talks no more.
I got to say it on the next like five episodes yeah. to really beat it. That's understandable. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Nathan, please share where people can find you on social media, how they can support your efforts, and then we'll sign out. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the two primary platforms, uh, it's going to be LinkedIn and um, and then also Instagram. You can on, on LinkedIn, just Nathan Roberts. Look up Nathan Roberts. You'll find me. On Instagram, it is CRE with Nathan. Uh, that is my commercial real estate uh, handle for my business. Love it. Or C-R-E. if you just look up Nathan Nathan Roberts underscore nineteen ninety seven, that's my personal account. You'll find them. You'll find them. Look for the tall, handsome black man. And with that being said, let's all be amazing today. Let's I'm feeling really energized right now, but we got to wrap this up. I don't want to turn up and take this into a three hour podcast. So with that being said. Five-star review, share with a friend. Call us at the show, C-I-Double-Z-Y, signing out.